Do we have notes to come around? I'd like to welcome everyone joining us uh, on our live stream. Only one part of our service here at Chelsea and City Temple. You can be part of the whole thing by dropping us an email, or you can come and visit us in person. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at two places. First of all, Daniel chapter 9, uh, not the entire chapter, and then Luke chapter 18. Daniel 9, Luke chapter 18. Before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I do thank you that we can trust it. I thank you that it is true. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks to us through it. And I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds today to receive anything that you want to communicate with us today. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would rest on me and I can bring your word to your people today boldly and faithfully through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the first year of Darius, the son of Aharis, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt 
with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not pre present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my O God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And then in Luke chapter 18, this great parable of Jesus. And he told them a parable to, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not wear me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. When I was a kid, uh, I really was quite interested in World War II. And so I read a lot about World War II. And as you know, one of the great battles of World War II, actually it's probably the most significant battle, was the Battle of Britain. And that was an air battle where the Luftwaffe tried to bomb the UK into oblivion so it could easily come and invade. And the heroic uh, British uh, pilots uh, and, and ground crew fought against this and actually kept back the onslaught of the Luftwaffe. And extraordinarily, Britain prevailed. And that was perhaps the turning point of the war for us here in the UK. It was such a significant battle, 
And it was the first battle of any major war that occurred almost entirely in the air. And one thing, though, that I didn't read about in all my history books, it was only later that I came to read about, was a man named Reese Howells. And Reese Howells had started a, a Christian Bible college in Wales. Uh, he had, had been through the Welsh revival and through uh, many different awakenings, many moves of God, uh, and he was really known for praying. And uh, during that time, just before everything broke out, about 1937, the whole college felt like the Lord told them to pray and intercede for the war. And at the Battle of Britain, they were praying almost continuously for the British victory. In fact, through many key times throughout World War II, this group of Christians there uh, near Swansea just kept praying and kept prevailing. And I believe, and, and many others believe, that this prayer, this intercession on behalf of the nation was one of the things that won the Battle of Britain. Because frankly, it cannot be explained simply by military strategy or by the numbers of British pilots and the experience of British pilots versus the experience of the German Luftwaffe, the most feared air force in the world at that time. And it really reminds us of the incredible importance of prayer. But not just any prayer, the incredible importance of intercession. Intercession is absolutely essential for us as Christians. And today, quite frankly, we're in another battle of Britain. Babylon has come in. Babylon has taken over. And we're not gonna win the new battle for Britain on the ground. We're not going to win the new battle for Britain simply by getting a prime minister or two to follow Jesus. We're not going to win the battle of Britain in any other way except in the air, through intercession, through our prayers, because we are not helpless bystanders in history. Yes, Babylon is big, so what? God's still on the throne. Yes, we've lost the culture wars, so-called. So what? God is on the throne. Yes, the gates of hell seem to be fierce. So what? Jesus promised the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And it's not going to happen because we attack. It's not going to happen because we promote hate. It's not going to happen because we have the most number of uh, X slash Twitter followers. It's not going to happen because we find the right Instagram meme to put up there of a cute cat going to war with Satan or whatever else you want to come up with is going to happen as we intercede, as we pray. Because we cannot sit idly by. This is a key time and we must not sit idly by uh, in the flow of history and the history of our families. We must not passively wait for any future to happen we need to pray the future into being through intercession. I love this quote. I've used it many times. A uh, great quote uh, by a man named Walter Wink back in the 1980s. He said this, history belongs to the intercessors. Now many people, that's all they quote, but you gotta get the rest of the sentence. History belongs to the intercessors 
those who believe and pray the future into being. Those who believe and pray the future into being. We need to be praying. We need to be interceding. Uh, and so we need to understand what intercession is. Intercession is not just general prayer. You know, saying, God, bless mommy, bless daddy, bless my little sister, bless the government. That's not intercession. That's just blessing prayer. And it's fine as far as it goes, but you don't know when are they blessed. When are they blessed? You know, intercession is not, God, thank you for this food. That's thanksgiving. Intercession is not, oh God, oh God, please help me do well on my exam tomorrow. That's not intercession, that's supplication. Intercession, biblically, is a specific kind of prayer, and we need to engage in this intercession. Intercession simply is praying on behalf of other people, organizations, situations, seeking specific outcomes according to the will of God. If you don't know the outcome you're looking for, you're not interceding. You're just wandering about in prayer. And it's a bit like, you know, throwing a dart and you hit something and then you draw the target around it. You know, intercession is targeted. And we also like to talk about prophetic intercession. And prophetic intercession is simply intercession specifically guided by the Holy Spirit. You know, our intercession is, is something that, that is strong and goes forward. But if the Holy Spirit gives us the target and we pray into the target, our intercession takes on a greater degree of power. And we need to practice intercession with regard to our children. We need to practice intercession with regard to our government. We need to practice intercession with regard to our church, with regard to the people in our office, in our workplace. We need to practice intercession. If we wanna see change, if we want to see things happen. I remember a comment that was made. It was quite a damning comment, and it was actually a, an accurate comment made. I've quoted it before in the late 1990s by a church leader, I don't remember, who said, uh, you know, many Christians in the 1990s criticized Bill Clinton. And, you know, it, it, if Twitter was alive then, it would have been all over everywhere. And toward the end of his two terms in office, well, one leader said, you know, if Christians had spent as much time praying for Bill Clinton as they spent criticizing Bill Clinton, he might have been a completely different president. If you spend as much time praying for your church as you do criticizing it, praying for your spouse as you do criticizing them, praying for government as you do criticizing it, and on and on and on, it could be a very, very different world. But quite frankly today, most Christians don't intercede. And when they do intercede, it's rather weak intercession. It's people getting themselves, oftentimes it's getting them worked up. And I, I'm not against emotion. I've been in a lot of great prayer meetings, intercession meetings, where we did a lot of amazing things, many things led by the Holy Spirit. So I'm not against emotion. I'm not against that kind of thing. But I've also been in a lot of meetings where, you know, people were stomping on Satan's head and yelling and screaming at demons. 
and calling down certain things to come into existence. And I reflect back on those meetings, maybe 30 days later, 60 days later, after the meeting, everybody says, wow, that was a great meeting. But I look 30 days, 60 days later, nothing's different. And frankly, if things don't change, then you can't say it was a great prayer time. You got to keep on. And not a one-off meeting is going to make a change. I can't tell you the number of times I've had people come to me uh, when we were at City Temple in the building. Uh, no one in a while now, thankfully. But uh, they would come to me and they say, God has called me here to London to intercede for the city and pull down the demonic, demonic principalities over London. Oh, really? Yes, I'm going to be here for two weeks just seeking the Lord and fasting. You know, and after two weeks, you know, they go, oh, I had a great time with the Lord. And they go, nothing changes. You know, that's not intercession. That's just going after your, your feelings. It's appealing to your flesh or to your pseudo-Christian imagination, but it's not intercession. A lot of intercession is passive. They pray it one and done instead of persistent, like Jesus said. You do it and keep doing it. And the sign of faith for Jesus was not the person who prayed once and then got the answer. According to the parable, the sign of faith for Jesus was the person who kept praying until the answer was there. Sometimes it's self-centered, not God-centered. Looking for what I want to happen, not really seeking what God wants to happen. Oftentimes it's led by the world and the flesh. It's not led by the Holy Spirit. And we cannot intercede in any way we want to. We have to intercede according to the Lord. I said, sometimes in intercession, God will have us do crazy things. I've seen it, I've heard about it, and I know it. But many times, God just wants us to hunker down and keep praying and keep interceding. Now, now we're in Babylon, so we don't have the support that we once had maybe 50 years ago our intercession so we need to learn from Daniel how to intercede with power we need to learn from Daniel and so we can see that here in this text the first thing we learn from Daniel in how to intercede is that Daniel's intercession flowed from God's revelation Daniel didn't set out and say okay what's my wish list what should I pray about Oh, yeah, it'd be nice to, uh, God, can I start eating uh, shrimp now? Or, you know, he didn't do that kind of thing. He was looking at the scriptures, at the word of God that had been written down. Sound like the Bible? It was the precursor. He was looking at the Bible and he read the Bible and he discerned in the Bible what he needed to pray about. In particular, he discerned in the Bible a sense of prophetic timing. Now, it just so happened that this was also a prophetic word because it was the word of God through uh, Jeremiah. And so he's, he's studying the word. He's praying. He's studying the word. And then he gets the insight, this is how I need to pray. Because the 70 years are about up. Here I am. I came when I was about 15 or so. 
I've been here for 70 years. I'm about 85, maybe early, maybe slightly earlier. And so now is the time. It's over. Now we need to pray. You know, I could have prayed and say, God, forgive us 35 years ago. But God already said, no, I'm not going to do it. You're going to be there for 70 years. I could have prayed and say, well, God, move faster. And God said, no, I told you what I was going to do. And this is what I'm going to do. So the first thing we see, and the key thing with Daniel, is that Daniel's intercession flowed from God's revelation. Knowing God's will gave Daniel the confidence to intercede and keep on praying. We need to press in to know God's will. That's why we value the prophetic word here at City Temple in Chelsea so much. We press in to know God's will. That's why we value Bible study here at Chelsea City Temple so much. We've got to press in to know God's will. You've got to put in the effort to play the game. You know, I'd love to be a professional baseball player. That would be great. You know, I, I can dream of, you know, being the pitcher. That you, and many of you don't even know what that is. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> I dream of being the pitcher on the mound in the, in the deciding game of the World Series and throwing a no-hitter. And you don't even know what that is either. You know, and I can dream about this. And I can say, oh God, please, please put me on that mound and let me pitch. But I haven't put in the effort. I haven't played. I haven't studied. We need to put in the effort, study the word, listen for the Lord, and then we have power in our intercession. That's what Daniel did. That's what Daniel did. Second thing about Daniel's intercession, Daniel's intercession showed a true knowledge of God and God's ways. If you don't have a true knowledge of God, who he is, and how he, he, he acts, you cannot act in faith. Faith depends on a true knowledge of God and God's ways. But a lot of people don't have a true knowledge of God and God's ways. You know, they say, well, oh, God is love. And he is. Bible says that. But also, God is a God of justice. And that means there are consequences when we sin. We might say, oh, Jesus welcomes everybody. That he does. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. Live my life. And we just don't understand. And there are a lot of times where people are begging and, and pleading for things that God's already given us. All like, oh God, help me, uh, make me, make me feel like a full human being. Well, you already are. If you're in Christ, you're, you're like a human being to the max, filled with God. So instead of, God, make me feel better, why don't you say, God, let me understand who I am more. Because it's not what you need to become, it's what you already are. I get this a lot with Christians. Oh, God, let the church be united. Well, the church is already united. Doesn't act like it all the time. But Jesus prayed that in John 17, and Jesus' prayer was answered in Acts chapter 2. And that answer is still the same. That's why Paul tells us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Not bring up the unity of the Spirit or create the unity of the Spirit, 
but maintain what you already have. One of the reasons why our intercession is so weak is we don't really know who God is. We don't really know God's ways. Well, I love God. I'm confident in who I am in Christ. But I also know God's a God of justice, so I fear sin. And I'm afraid of it. Because look at Moses. Moses spoke to God face to face as a man does with a friend, yet he could not go into the promised land because of his sin. And I pray, God, please don't let me be like Moses. Don't let me mess it up at the last minute. You know, Moses had 40 years of irritation with these guys. And why he couldn't have lasted another few weeks, I don't know. But he just kind of lost it. I'm like, God, don't let me do that. We got to know God. And you have to intercede out of knowing God. And, and he clearly demonstrated, Daniel demonstrated, he knew, knew God. For Daniel, God is sovereign. He's the one who's in control. You know, many times we pray like, oh God, please don't let the devil win. Don't let the devil do this. Don't let the... The devil's already defeated in the cross. You don't pray that. It's already done. Jesus has already won. We're in the mop-up exercise. You get it? Because God is sovereign. He's not threatened. He's great and awesome, according to Daniel. God has delivered his people and made a name for himself. And God will deliver his people and continue to make a name for himself. That's the reality. God is faithful, according to Daniel. He says he keeps his covenant and his steadfast love with those who love him and obey him. And that means don't think you can mess around with that. And that God will say, oh, that's okay, that's so cute. No, he'll deal with it. But he'll deal with it, not as an enemy, he'll deal with it as a loving father. But I guarantee you, it will hurt. I know, because I've experienced it. So just deal with it quicker. Don't let it get that far. Because God is faithful, and God has confirmed and will confirm his words. Everything God spoke in here, he's going to confirm. We're going to see it. Some of it won't happen until Jesus comes again. But everything God has said, he will do. Because God is faithful. Daniel knew too, knew as well, number th the third thing in this list, that God is righteous. He says that God is the source of all righteousness. That's all right relationship. Righteousness is about relationships. And God is righteous in all the works that he has done. So even in his discipline of Israel in the 70-year Babylonian captivity, God is righteous. You know, there's a discipline in much of the global church today that is from God's righteousness. Because many Christians and Christian leaders did not take advantage of their time in Israel, but neglected the Lord and neglected the Lord's ways and allowed themselves to get caught up in many meaningless pursuits, and they lost it. They lost it. And part of being in Babylon, I believe, is a part of a discipline from the Lord, even as it was in the days of Daniel. Because God is righteous, and God is merciful. And that's a big one, right? He's the source of all mercy and all forgiveness. 
That means he's sovereign. He's in control. He's all-powerful. But he's merciful. And that's why we can go to him in confidence. We can pray and intercede in confidence that he hears and that he understands. But the third thing here, Daniel's intercession identified fully with his fellow humans, especially his Jewish people. Notice when he's interceding. Now Daniel rightfully could have interceded this way. Oh God, you know how I am a man of excellent spirit. How I'm a good problem solver and wisdom and how your Holy Spirit is inside of me. And I pray that you'd have mercy on those poor, poor, pitiful people who are not like me, who did not really sin about, against you and did not really deserve to be taken into Babylonian captivity. You know, thank you, you know, that you've treated me differently than everybody else who, you know, you didn't like so much. But you notice he didn't do that. That wasn't the kind of thing. He identified fully with his people. That's a problem with, you know, that person that comes in and says, I'm going to intercede for a week on behalf of London. I'm going to pull down the spirit of mammon over London. I've heard that. I've heard that. The problem is you don't live here. You have no stake here. You have no skin in the game here. So what right do you have to come in and pull down our demons? We'll pull them down ourselves. Thank you very much. You get it. So many times we don't identify. Just like, oh God, you know, that those terrible labor people or those terrible conservative people or those terrible Lib Dem people. And, you know, you pray against the government, but you don't realize they're your government. And whether you voted for them or not, you're part of an electoral system that did put them into power. So if you try to separate yourself, say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a labor supporter. I'm not part of this government. You have no standing to intercede because you're not identifying. And we see that a lot. I see that a lot in the U.S. See that all over the world. So notice, effective intercession requires identification with those for whom we intercede. If not, your intercession is arrogant. And we have to identify with, it's our sin. It's our sin. I'm part of that group of leaders that missed it somehow. It's our sin. It's not their sin. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled and have not obeyed, Daniel says. All God's people have sinned and refused to obey so that we deserve the curse against us. It's all our sin. None of us are without sin. We can identify with that. It's our shame. You know, we deserve open shame because of our sin. We deserve open shame because of our sin against God. We deserve open shame because of our unfaithful behavior. And we've all had it. It's our rebellion. We have not listened to God's servant leaders, pastors and ministers and elders. We have labeled and rebelled and disobeyed God by living day, not living daily according to his will. That's revealed in his word. It's revealed through leaders. That's our rebellion. It's our brokenness, the iniquities. And this is something we often miss. We have to always remember when you read that word iniquity, it's different than the general word for sin. Iniquity 
is any behavior that comes out of our brokenness. Uh, so if, if I'm abused as a child, and then as an adult, I act out of that abuse that I had as a child, that's iniquity. It's still wrong, but it has a difference to it, if you get that. And so we all have our brokenness. We failed to seek God's favor by turning from our iniquities and gaining insight from God's truth. And we as people, we live out of our brokenness and oftentimes we assume that we're doing the right thing, that we're living rightly when we're not. And I see this a lot with Christians who get hateful and angry in places like social media. You know, Jesus never said, hate your enemies and love those who love you. He said, love your enemies. He never said, hate those who persecute you. He said, love them. Hate is not appropriate unless it's directed towards sin or the devil. And even then, it has to be directed through God, not through your opinion. It's not appropriate. It's part of our brokenness. This is true. This reality of identification is true even for Christians. Yes, we know who we are in Christ, but that certainly doesn't excuse us from our sin. And knowing who we are in Christ and knowing God's grace in our lives, that's actually what helps us to identify. It enables us to identify ourselves fully with our fellow human beings, just as Jesus identified with us. It's Jesus, I'm getting down here and I'm praying for my co-workers. I'm guilty of the same sins as they're guilty of. But Lord, I cry out to you on their behalf that you would come and move in them and draw them to your son Jesus. Help them turn from their sin. You identify and you call out just like Jesus identified with us. In Daniel's intercession, number four, Daniel's intercession sought God's response according to God's character for God's glory, not according to his will, his personal will. You look how it comes up. He says, God, according to your righteousness, turn away your anger because of our sins. According to your righteousness, turn away your anger for the iniquities of our ancestors. It's your righteousness, God. It's not ours. God, because of your great mercy, hear our prayers. Not because of our righteousness, not because we are merciful, but because of your righteousness and your mercy. God, for your own sake, for your glory, remember that your people and your city are called by your name. Listen to my prayers and plays for mercy according to your glory. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary. In our case, it's the church, your people. For your glory, not for our benefit. For your glory. For your glory, O oh God, hear us. For your glory, forgive us. For your glory, pay attention and act. For your glory, do not delay. For your glory, do all of these things that you already said that you're going to do. For your glory. And the passion has to be driving us toward the glory of God. It's not even for the well-being of other people primarily. It's for God's glory. We want to see the nation change for the glory of God. 
We want to see the world bow at the feet of Jesus for the glory of God. And so we cry out and we pray. And you know, Daniel's intercession had outcomes that he never anticipated. In the same way that our intercession has outcomes that you'll never anticipate. First of all, we see that Daniel's intercession had an engagement with the heavenly realms beyond his normal senses. From the moment he started praying, he was engaging with angels. He was engaging with principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil, but he had no clue what was going on at that time. But from that moment, he was engaging it with his intercession. He was engaging in the spiritual realm that surrounds all of us. And as Daniel interceded, he gained new revelation. Now, we didn't go into that, what uh, Gabriel told him, but uh, after the end of the passage we read, Gabriel gives him some new revelation about something completely different than he was interceding about. So as we intercede, as we press in and keep on interceding, oftentimes we get new revelation. And Daniel's intercession led to answered prayers that affected generations. Daniel did not know that there'd be a book about him. Daniel did not know. Most likely Daniel did not write the book. We don't know who did. He didn't know a book about him. He just simply lived his life. And Daniel certainly did not know that here we are several thousand years later being influenced by him, learning from him, and knowing that his intercession led to the return of the people just as God promised, which led ultimately to the coming of Jesus, which led ultimately to our salvation. Daniel's intercession touched generations. Yours, your intercession will touch generations. Daniel's intercession certainly influenced Darius and Nehem, uh, uh, people like Cyrus and Nehemiah in the short term, but it's also the coming of Jesus in the long term. And the impact of his life has reverberated down the generations and affects us today. You have no clue how important your persistent intercession is for shaping the world. We just look back and know it does. It does shape the world. So Daniel lived a faithful life punctuated by miracles. His was not a miraculous life punctuated by faithfulness. It was a faithful life punctuated by miracles. And that's the same life we are called to live right now in our Babylon. We must not deceive ourselves and think we're better than we are. But the danger right now is that we will diminish ourselves and think too less of ourselves in our intercession and how God will accomplish great things 
and perhaps even lead to a new victory in this new battle of Britain that we're engaged in. Daniel flourished in Babylon because of his faithfulness and the presence of God's Spirit inside of him. That's the key. It's faithfulness and God's Spirit. That was Daniel's key. And guess what? We can flourish in our Babylon because we are saved by grace through faith. We are united with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. And we have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we combine that with our faithfulness. And our lives make a difference. Our lives have an impact. And because of that faithfulness combined with the Holy Spirit, a faithfulness lived out every single day, Daniel's intercession changed the world, even as our intercession, even as your intercession can change the world. You just don't realize it. You just don't realize how significant it actually is. But frankly, the state of our world and the state of the church of Jesus Christ all around our nation right now requires nothing less than sustained, intense, informed intercession. By God's grace, may we do it for God's glory in Jesus.